What's up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you have a fantastic went. <laughs> Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you've had a fantastic Wednesday. Welcome back to the Philip to Philip. <laughs> oh no. Is this today? Is this what's happening today? Blah. Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you've had a fantastic Wednesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco show. Buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. Nailed it. First take machine. And the first thing we're gonna talk about today are the just massive updates on the NASCAR Bubba Wallace situation. So, you know, as we talked about, or to bring it up to speed if you didn't see the initial report, there were reports that a noose was found in Bubba Wallace's team's garage. This reportedly happening on Sunday to Wallace, who is the current series only black driver. And regarding the timing, this was being reported just a few weeks after NASCAR announced a ban on display the Confederate flag at events. Also, as we talked about, when it came time for the race to actually happen, you reportedly had hundreds of people protesting and waving that flag outside of the Talladega Super Speedway in Alabama. But ultimately, what we ended up seeing after reports came out around this alleged news is you had a huge swelling of support from NASCAR, from fans. NASCAR launched an investigation. We also saw the FBI and the Justice Department getting involved. But what we ended up seeing was yesterday, the FBI releasing this statement. On Monday, 15 FBI special agents conducted numerous interviews regarding the situation at Talladega Super Speedway. After a thorough review of the facts and evidence around this event, we have concluded that no federal crime was committed. The FBI learned that garage number four, where the noose was found, was assigned to Bubba Wallace last week. The investigation also revealed evidence, including authentic video confirmed by NASCAR, that the noose found in garage number four was in that garage as early as October 2019. Although the noose is now known to have been in garage number four in 2019, nobody could have known Mr. Wallace would be assigned to garage number four last week. The decision not to pursue federal charges is proper after reviewing all available facts and all applicable federal laws. We offer our thanks to NASCAR. NASCAR, Mr. Wallace, and everyone who cooperated with this investigation. All right, so we see that statement. We go, okay, so Wallace wasn't targeted, but are they saying there was just a random noose in this garage? And there we gained more insight from NASCAR also releasing a statement where they described a situation where the FBI report concluded and photographic evidence confirmed that the garage door pull rope was fashioned like a noose and it had been positioned there since as early as last fall. All right, so we see those updates and those statements coming out and we see a number of different reactions. You see reactions like that of NASCAR President Steve Phelps saying yesterday in a call with reporters. For us at NASCAR, this is the best result we could hope for. It was disturbing to hear it was thought that one of our own had committed this heinous act. It is fantastic to hear from the FBI definitively that there was not a hate crime. But of course, at the same time, like we saw when the story first started trending, you had others comparing Wallace to actor Jesse Smollett. With Smollett, of course, being a person who is now being charged with six counts of falsifying police reports of an alleged hate crime against him last year, which is also why you may have seen hashtags like Bubba Smollett trending on Twitter yesterday. And with that general narrative, you had people calling this a hoax, others implying that Wallace actually orchestrated all of this to boost his career. We also saw people sharing photos and videos that appear to be from that garage, pointing out what they assume to be the rope pull in question. Right, and so with everything being said online, let's try and take a look at everything that we know. You had Richard Petty Motorsports, which worked on Wallace's number 43 car, putting out a statement saying, on Sunday, June 21, members of Richard Petty Motorsports discovered a rope tied in the fashion of a noose in the garage stall assigned to the team at the Talladega Super Speedway. In accordance with established protocols, our team member notified the crew chief who notified NASCAR of the presence of the item in the garage stall. NASCAR leadership determined the course of action going forward with an immediate investigation into the item and its possible origins. And then adding, in the early stages of the investigation, NASCAR's Steve Phelps notified Daryl Bubba Wallace Jr. of the information gathered and the presence of the item in the garage stall of his team. All right, so according to the reports on record, the statements on record, Bubba Wallace did not discover the noose, nor was he a part of anything that set things into motion. All right, which on paper seems to add up. Drivers aren't even allowed in their garages right now in order to properly social distance from their teams. Also, in addition to that, I think it's important to talk about the confusion and the debate around if this was just kind of a general knot or if it was in fact a noose. Right, like I've said, we've seen a number of people sharing photos and videos pointing to what a number of people have said is the noose in question. And last night we saw Wallace touching on that while speaking to Don Lemon, uh, first saying, I'm, uh, I'm pissed, I'm, I'm, I'm mad because people are trying to test my character and the person that I am and 
my integrity and they're not stealing that away from me, but they're just trying to test that. With Wallace then going on to add that he was first told about the news being found in his garage by Phelps, which seems to back up the statement from NASCAR. Also noting that Phelps described the incident to Wallace as a hate crime. And while of course, ultimately we have the FBI saying that Wallace No was not in fact the target of a hate crime, we also saw Wallace still saying. Don, the, the, the image that I have and I have seen of, of what was hanging in my garage is not a, uh, is not a garage pool. Um, I've, uh, I've been racing all my life. I've, we've, we've raced out of hundreds of garages that, uh, never had garage pools like that. So people that want to call it a garage pool and put out old videos and photos of, of, of knots being, um, in, uh, in, in, in their, as their evidence, go ahead. But from the evidence that we have, um, that I have, uh, it's a straight up noose. It, it was a noose. It was a noose that was other, whether tied in 2019 or, or whatever, it was a noose. So it wasn't directed at me, but somebody tied a noose. That's what I am saying. This morning, we also saw Wallace going on the Today Show and there he continued to call it a noose and also spoke about what the FBI told him. They gave me the lowdown of all the investigation and research they, they, had, they have completed and found out that, um, that it was a garage pool, but it in fact was a noose. It was not a functioning noose, but it, it, it was a noose. And whoever had the time to create that and, and tie it up like that, just they were they were skeptical about it. I don't know when we'll get to the point to release that that image, but it's uh, anybody sees it, then it's 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 alerting and it and it makes you, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And alongside that, we've seen Phelps announcing that NASCAR plans to continue its own investigation with this, focusing on why that rope was fashioned into a noose and why it was even in that garage stall in the first place. With Phelps also telling reporters that even with the new information we know now, NASCAR took the proper step, saying, I wanna be clear about the 43 team. The 43 team had nothing to do with this. The evidence is very clear that the noose that was in the garage had been in the garage previously. The last race we had there in October, that noose was present. The fact that it was not found until a member of the 43 team came there is some Thing that is a fact. The crew member went back in there, he looked and saw the news, brought it to the attention of his crew chief, who then went to the NASCAR series director, Jay Fabian, and we launched this investigation. Which I will say, it sounds like it is in everybody's best interest for the official photos that the FBI has, that NASCAR has, that those be released. Because if they are in fact different than what's being shared by random people online, that's incredibly important. Especially because as ESPN asked and answered, was there a news found in Bubba Wallace's garage at Talladega? Yes, NASCAR officials and FBI investigators have not disputed that. Rope pull downs are installed in the roller doors in every bay of the Talladega Super Speedway garage. According to NASCAR, every one of those pull downs was checked as part of the FBI investigation, and the only one of those fashioned into a noose was the rope in garage number four, which was assigned to the Richard Petty Motorsports number 43 Chevy this past weekend. And also noting an FBI special agent, Johnny Sharp Jr.'s official statement, written with U.S. Attorney J.E. Town. Sharp used the word noose four times and never disputed that it was a noose. Right, and as far as if we will ever get those official photos, it sounds like we should. With ESPN asking and answering once again, why won't NASCAR just show the photo of the noose, with the answer being official say they won't do that because their internal investigation is ongoing. Noting all evidence submitted as part of the FBI investigation is back in NASCAR's hands, including the photo and video evidence used to reveal that the news was visible in the same garage, hanging from the door pulled down during the October 2019 race weekend. Though, once again noting, while the official images in the news itself remain withheld from the public eye so far, other images of the news have surfaced from outside sources. Now, with all that said, as far as other reactions, we've also seen others from NASCAR still supporting and backing up Wallace, with those like Jimmy Johnson hitting on the note that even if this was not a hate crime, it was still a powerful display of the sport coming together. You also had NASCAR reporter Marty Smith who gave that really impassioned response in Sports Center on Sunday night now saying, the best news possible came from the FBI investigation and I am so happy for Bubba Wallace and NASCAR that there was no hate crime or any ill will. This is wonderful. And adding, the display of unity, togetherness, courage, and commitment that I saw Monday from the garage will forever be one of the most beautiful moments of solidarity
solidarity I've witnessed. Brothers caring for brothers. Right, so essentially you had a, a lot of people hitting on the point of, hey, be glad this wasn't actually a hate crime against Bubba, and be glad we saw this heartwarming, united response from the entirety of NASCAR. And you also had others like IndyCar driver J.R. Hildebrand directly calling out people comparing Wallace to Jesse Smollett, saying, quick PSA that I hope will save me from wasting time going ham in my replies. There are ways to have been skeptical about this situation without being racist or an asshole. Calling Bubba Wallace Jesse Smollett is not one of them. But ultimately, that is where we are with this story right now. And of course, I, I pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts on all of this? And then let's talk about a story involving the beauty guru world. And only one, because I, I took a small peek over there and there are so many fires. But that said, uh, with the story that we're talking about today and with stories that we try to talk about in this space, we don't want to talk about just drama. We want to talk about something that may actually have legal implications. And so in the story we're talking about today, it involves Susan Yara. If you do not know, she runs the channel Mixed Makeup, a channel with over a million subscribers. Looking into it, she appears to be very well respected in the community. And on June 21st, she made this announcement. Hi guys, welcome back. I have such big news for you. I want to introduce you to my skincare line, Naturium. Right, and so for a number of beauty gurus, this is a huge milestone. Right, you're not just getting a sponsorship and making someone else money. You're not just collabing with another brand and boosting them. This is your brand. You are that successful. And you know, by all accounts, it appears that her product is actually good. For months, people have been raving that these products work and they are worth the money. And you may be going, but but Phil, did you not just say that she made her announcement on June 21st? How have people been raving about this product for months? But yeah, apparently the brand officially launched in February. No one knew it was her brand and Yara even admits this in her video. As far as why Yara didn't say that she was starting this new brand, she said. So we officially launched in February and it was really important to me to get honest and true feedback from everyone. And I, you know, I took a step back and I was like, I don't think I'm going to get that if I just announce that this is my skincare line from the get-go. She also said she delayed saying that it was her brand because of how everything went downhill after the pandemic started, saying that she felt like it was a bad time to make an exciting announcement. Okay, so with all of that said, if that was the only thing, this doesn't feel like that big of a deal. There are plenty of people out there that have businesses that you do not know about. And any other creators who did review products did make it clear that it was an advertisement. But here's the thing, since launching the brand in February, she has also been promoting the brand without saying that she was part of it, even going as far as publicly making it seem like this random brand approached her. With people sharing a number of screenshots, including from a Facebook post back in April, there she puts out a product code and writes, fan of the ordinary? I have found a better brand called Notoria. I just want you guys to use better products. Don't fight me, haha. One person appears to ask, how did you find them? To which it appears that Yara replies, they sent me a PR mailer when they launched. It's really good. And in another exchange about a pending review, Yara wrote, been working on so many brand reviews this one might be at the bottom of the list. I can say I like everything I've tried so far though. On our mixed makeup page, she's also been promoting the brand with videos like four affordable vitamin C serums I recommend. And of course, uh, the thumbnail has a Notorium as the only featured product. And there are also other videos that feature Notorium products somewhere in them. Now following this latest announcement, fans were very quick to notice this, I imagine, because it appears that 93% of the beauty community are private investigators. And many were pissed at what they saw as a complete lack of transparency with her Instagram being flooded with comments from angry fans. Also in the comment section on Sunday's announcement, Video, there were a ton of people calling her out with comments like, wow, you clearly don't respect your viewers or your customers. Shame on you for lying. I would have been so excited to try this skincare line if it hadn't been completely tainted by your manipulation and deceit. How disappointing. However, I will say it was not completely negative. There appeared to be a number of people that actually liked how she promoted the brand, saying that by not disclosing her relationship with it to fellow creators or fans, she was able to get honest and unbiased feedback. Even her announcement video itself had fellow creators praising the way that she did the release. This is the one chance I get to really, 
really give you guys something good. And that's what Naturium is. And I needed that feedback. I needed to know that my friends in this industry actually love this brand without me influencing that on them. <laughs> is this why you did it? Is this why you didn't tell us? You know, it's so funny. It's so good that you got my genuine thoughts. I cannot believe that you launched this entire brand. And that is honestly such a smart strategy. Honestly, I feel like that was such a great way to ease into it to actually get that feedback. And I think you did it so well. But uh, of course, the, the massive elephant in the room is even though most of the stories that we ever cover in the world involve the court of public opinion, there is also actual laws to be considered. As one comment on her announcement video hits on the head, you mean the brand you promoted while pretending you weren't affiliated even though you owned the brand? How is the FTC not all over you? And here, in case you don't know, the FTC means the Federal Trade Commission. They are the federal watchdog that makes sure businesses play by the rules. Also, since 20. 17, we've seen them going after social media influencers. You know, we've covered a number of these stories in the past. One of the first ones to get hit in a very public way, you had the owners of CSGO Lotto. Right, and to a certain extent, they essentially did what Yara did. They owned a business, they promoted it, all while pretending they just stumbled across it. And in the CSGO Lotto case, the owners of that site eventually settled with the FTC, and since then, the agency has issued guidelines to influencers on how to tag posts to avoid getting in trouble. Right, things like clearly putting that it's an ad or a promoted product. Also, here's this easy infographic that clearly states what to do. Among other things, it warns that one should clearly disclose when you have a financial or family relationship with a brand. I'm sure your sponsorship disclosure is hard to miss. But as far as what happens next for Yara, I mean, right now, in addition to people flooding her comment sections, you've also had fans allegedly saying they've been sending the FTC complaints about Yara's deception. Also, after this backlash, she's been on damage control mode. For example, she's been responding to comments on Instagram saying how sorry she was that her launch ended up being deceptive and that she acknowledges her mistakes and how she originally released the brand. Also, according to Beauty Independent, she said in a statement, I validated my true love for my brand as a reason to post. My intent was never to deceive my followers. In hindsight, I should have waited to promote anything from the line until we were ready to announce my involvement. I realize some of my viewers are disappointed in my strategy and I believe their feelings are justified. This has been an incredibly valuable lesson for me and my team. I'm very sorry if anyone felt I was manipulative, but I can assure you my intentions were good. I know that doesn't make the situation better, so I apologize wholeheartedly. And it also appears that she's gone back to every video on her channel that featured Notorium and added this at the bottom of the description. Disclaimer, I am a co-founder of Notorium and this description may contain affiliate links for a small commission on purchase products. Affiliate links support our channel so we can continue to make fun videos for you. Thanks for watching and shopping. But also, there are a few issues with that disclaimer. One, the part of her being an owner of Notorium was not there when the video was first put up. And two, it also doesn't even comply with the FTC's guidelines. Where they say, don't rely on disclosures that people will only see if they click more. Which is what you have to do to see more of the video description, especially if it is the bottom of the video description. And here's the thing, as far as what could happen, if the FTC does take action, she could be on the hook for tens of thousands of dollars per post. So it is possible maybe they just give her a warning. Also, she could find herself in a civil suit, right? So there's that, but also going back to the court of public opinion. For a lot of fans here, there's also another issue with this, whether or not other influencers who reviewed the products knew about Yara's involvement. So I'm pointing to Carolyn Hirons, insinuating in an hour long Instagram live that some creators who were sponsored by Notorium knew that it was Yara's brand. Though in response to that, we saw Yara writing in an Instagram story, I can assure you no one knew about my involvement with Notorium when they posted about the brand. It was insinuated in a live today, content creators knew more, and that is completely false information. But hey, ultimately that is where we are as of recording this video. And I wanna pass the question off to you. What, what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel like this was a betrayal of trust on Yara's part, or was it actually a very smart way to make sure you could release something and get real feedback? Any and all thoughts you have on this, I, I'd love to know. And also, if, when you're leaving your comment, if you could tell me if you're co a complete outsider to the situation, or you know, you're part of the beauty community, maybe you're a fan, I, I, just to see the different reactions. And then let's talk about the primary elections that happened yesterday, right? There, there were a couple of states that went to the polls, like North Carolina, Virginia, New York, but really all eyes were on Kentucky. And the reason for that is even just heading into it, there was a lot of attention and controversy as the state made tons of news for slashing polling stations. Right? 
right? Seemingly because of coronavirus concerns, they limited the state to less than 200 polling stations when the usual election would have 3,700. And as many noted, this was a move that looked like it would disproportionately impact black voters. Because places like Jefferson County, which is home to the city of Louisville and one of the state's largest black populations, only had one polling station. And just that county alone has over 600,000 registered voters. And they were not alone in this. Lexington, which is the second largest city in the state, also only got one polling station. Right? And so we saw a ton of outrage here with people like former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams tweeting, voter suppression is no longer billy clubs and Jim Crow. It's closed polling sites and six hour waits without pay. COVID is no excuse. Who needs to vote in person? The disabled, the homeless, or displaced voters with language barriers, folks who didn't get their ballots in time? Americans. So Senator Bernie Sanders also saying, you must make it easier to vote, not harder. No one should be forced to wait in line for hours to participate in our election. Our job is to fight racist voter suppression everywhere. And as far as what we ended up seeing yesterday, I mean, you did have voters in Lexington waiting over an hour to vote. As far as voters in Louisville, it appears they did not have really long lines for voting, though reportedly they saw long lines just to park their cars and by the end of the day, were not allowed in the polling station. Polls in Kentucky were set to close at 6 p.m. and at the Kentucky Exposition Center, which is the only place in Louisville residents could vote. According to Courier Journal reporter Joe Sanka, who was at the polling station, they locked the doors at 6.03 p.m. while around 50 people were waiting outside, which is why we then saw people starting to bang on the doors, demanding to be let in. The Courier Journal speaking to one of the voters who did not make it inside, saying that he spent 45 minutes in traffic before he could park, and adding, it's our constitutional right that is being infringed on right now. I think it's disingenuous at best that this is the only polling place in Jefferson County. It's not a coincidence that this is a large urban population. With all this happening with Charles Booker, who was running in the U.S. Senate Democratic primary, telling Louisville voters to stay in line, he ended up filing an injunction to keep the polls open till nine. A judge then granted one just for an extra 30 minutes. And there, according to CNN, this allowed another 100 voters to cast their ballot. Also after this, Amy McGrath, who was running against Booker for the Democratic nomination, said that she was also filing an injunction to keep the polls open later. But uh, their reports indicate that they did not remain open longer than those extra 30 minutes. Now, with all that said, right, the, the controversy and the backlash, it appears that this is a historic election for Kentucky. With CBS reporting that over a million people cast ballots in this primary, making it the highest voter turnout for a primary in the state, topping the previous record of 922,000 voters in 2008. And for an even closer comparison, the 2016 presidential primary in Kentucky only brought in around 670,000 voters. Obviously a massive boost to the numbers there. Also, uh, big news regarding absentee voting. Absentee voting in the state was very big this year with 868,000 people requesting ballots and 530,000 of those being returned by Tuesday. Reportedly more are still on the way. And with all of this, you had Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams tweeting, while all eyes were on Kentucky today, we offered the nation a model for success in conducting an election during a pandemic. Though of course, at the same time, you had people responding saying that one polling station for a major city should not be considered a success. But as far as who won, uh, we don't really know. According to reports, including that from the New York Times, many counties and cities still have no results, including Louisville. Also, of course, absentee ballots are still floating in and official results will not be announced until June 30th when more ballots are in and counted. Though what we're seeing right now in one of the more exciting races, right, the Democratic U.S. Senate primary, McGrath appears to be taking the lead against Booker, which I will say has been an interesting one to watch because it appeared, according to polling, near the end, Booker started jumping higher and higher. But yeah, that race is important because whoever wins there runs against Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who is currently well in the lead for his primary. Also, as I mentioned, and we can look at briefly, other states took to the polls yesterday and there were some notable results. In North Carolina, for instance, you had Madison Cawthorn, a 24-year-old real estate investment CEO, beating out Linda Bennett for the GOP nomination in the 11th Congressional District. And this was very notable because Bennett was backed by Donald Trump and his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who previously held the seat. Right, so you had many people seeing Cawthorn as the upset win, right? The, the vote going to a non-Trump endorsed candidate. Though it, it is worth noting that Cawthorn himself is a Trump supporter, saying in a statement, I want to make something clear. I support our great president. I do not believe this election 
election has been a referendum on the president's influence. Also, according to an Axios report, after congratulating Cawthorn, Trump told the young real estate investor that he didn't even know Bennett and that his team had told him to endorse her, according to two sources familiar with the call. Also, uh, we moved to New York where we saw Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez beating a former CNBC anchor, Michelle Caruso Cabrera. And this, of course, was a race that got a lot of attention, partially because, you know, AOC has made a huge name for herself. And some saying, you know, she was just a one-time thing. A number of people moving forward with the narrative that AOC was very scared that she was gonna lose this. People also looking to this race because Caruso Cabrera is much more moderate than AOC. Right, some people seeing this as a referendum on that. But uh, based off of the votes we have right now, AOC is at 72.6% with Caruso Cabrera at 19.5%. And of course, while we won't know until June 30th at the earliest what the final results are, based off of everything that we're seeing, that there's no reason to believe this is anything other than an AOC landslide victory. And also uh, on the note of New York progressive, also endorsed by AOC, saw middle school principal Jamal Bowman looking like he's going to unseat Representative Elliot Engel, which is incredibly notable because he is the state's longest serving congressman. But hey, ultimately that's where we are with the situation. We're gonna have to wait to see what happens with Kentucky. A very interesting races. And of course, I, I do wanna pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts on this? And that is where I'm going to end today's show. And the three of you that made it to the end of the video, thank you as always for being a part of this daily dive into the news. Thank you for liking the video, sharing the video, being a part of that conversation in the comments down below. Also, if you're new here, definitely hit that subscribe button. Also tap that bell so it looks like this so you get notifications when I upload new videos. Welcome to the family. But with that said, of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow. I hope you like the video. Subscribe if you like it.